Can we talk for a minute about celebrity Christians, celebrity Christianity? Um, all, all that hype, all that attention, that, that's got to point people to Jesus, right? I mean, if Carrie Underwood is a Christian, then that just proves that, that Jesus is real, right? Or if Chris Pratt or Denzel Washington is a Christian, then, then see, we're, we're on the right track. Uh, Chuck Norris claims to be a Christian and a, and a, quote, very religious person. So obviously the debate is settled. I mean, Jesus is Lord of all, right? Well, that's, 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 not a, that's not what that means. But as a group, American Christians include the smart, the, the theologically deep, the funny, uh, the sexy. Wow, that's happening too. Strong, creative, and wait, Russell Wilson is a Christian? Oh. So we're sporty, too. I mean, we're the full package. Christians have got it going on. Isn't it amazing? See, see, we are not to be overlooked. We are a force to be reckoned with. We've got, we've got the Spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the Spirit. How about you, right? Jesus is Lord of all. See, well, that's not really what that means. It's not a popularity contest. Uh, that's a statement of authority, Oh, but but if if our pastor or worship leader becomes famous, then as a church, you know, we'll, we'll be able to strike it rich. Uh, we'll have more people, more power, uh, more validation. See, we're not believing the wrong thing, cause look, we can ride their coattails to the top of the charts. Oh, have you heard the way she speaks? Oh, wow. Have you seen the way he explains things? Oh, she can really move a crowd. Jesus is Lord of all. It's so amazing. But that again, that's not, that's not what that means. So what I want to do today is catch up with Paul and Barnabas as they're preaching the message of Jesus as Lord. Um, they're, they're preaching it in Roman provinces and turning the world upside down. That'll be a later accusation, but you can see it. Uh, one aspect that they turned upside down was the Roman value, cursus honorum, the pathway or the course of honor. It was applied most directly to the political pathway, to, to get to be a distinguished person in Rome. But it also was the supporting structure for society, the way to get things done, right? Human honor was super important. And so if you had money, you would give your gifts to the city called benefactions. You would be the benefactor, you know that word. Um, you would get your name uh, on the city pillars. As people walked into town, they would know, oh, wow, this person has elevated their game and elevated their name. And so then people who received your gifts, if you were on this pathway, um, if, if they would be indebted to show you public honor, even if they couldn't give you a, a gift back. Um, but they would, they, would, you would, they would be indebted to show you some sort of public honor. It was a system that elevated the rich and encouraged huge building projects, libraries, temples, public works like roads and aqueducts and bathhouses. And, and all, all these things would, would happen. The cities would receive the benefit and you would receive the honor. Your name would be elevated for all to see, to admire. And then, of course, as the system goes, to aspire to. But Paul and Barnabas are flipping the script of the cursus honorum. Uh, and they would push for clarity at all costs. And no, 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 we're not trying to elevate our name. We're trying to point to Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's the supreme benefactor. 
and we're merely his messages. So let's take a look at this passage, Acts chapter 14, 5 and following. It says, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, this is in uh, Antioch of Pisidia, uh, their rulers to, to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it, fled to Lystra, Derby, cities of Lyconia, into the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looked intently at him. And seeing that he had something, he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. <laughs> when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Wow, that escalated quickly, right? So how are the apostles going to respond to this? Is this good publicity? Is this going to give them the platform they need for ministry? I mean, look at this high profile. This is great. They rise in the pathway to honor uh, and, and it was just a meteoric rise at that, wasn't it? But will they flip the script here? What's going on? Now, this healing of the man relates to the idea of signs and wonders. We've been talking about this. Wonders get the attention of the crowds, the people, usually with fear and trembling. So wonders and then signs. Signs point to things, you know, point to the message. So God's always working in this world, but we don't always see the signs. And so sometimes it's like, wow, this is pointing to the message. And the, the word wonders um, that we get in, in our English translation shows up only in association with signs. It's, it's signs and wonders, a package deal. And this phrase is actually used, used to describe first in Roman religious superstition, the practices as they attempt to wrangle the gods to do their bidding. But there's one more aspect of signs and wonders that I think just is, is striking. You know, they, they point to life in God's new age, the forgiveness of sins, the transformation of coming from the old life to the new, the old age to the life of God's new age, what we call, uh, translate sometimes, eternal life. And, and his life is now being restored to him. He's gained, gained wholeness and healing, which is this, this kind of down payment, right? It's the new creation project that, that Jesus preached, that the apostles are preaching. It points to the time when God will do for the entire world what he did for Jesus' body. Think, think about that. What God will do for the entire world, all of creation, um, when, when that point comes that he, he does for all the world what he did for Jesus' body, transformed him so that we are anticipating this new creation. So these signs and wonders point to that new age as well. Um, so we, we come to another way next of the way they were turning the world upside down with the message of the gospel. Um, it wasn't just the cursus or norum, the pathway to honor that was flipped by the apostles. It was, it was something else called uh, the pax deorum, 
we know Pax Romana, that's the peace that Rome brings. And they did bring that peace-ish, you know, to the land. Um, but they, the Pax Deorum was, was how they brought peace with the gods. Because Rome, uh, of, they would look around the other nations and say, we are the ones who are the masters of the gods. We have figured it all out. We alone rule with divine favor. Right? Yeah, they lived in fear of the gods, but they had a system to appease the gods and control the gods' outbreaks of violence. They had a whole system developed around this. It was called the Pax Deorum. And this town of Lystra had a legend that Zeus had visited them in human form in the past, Zeus and another, um, and only one poor couple was there to receive them into their house with meager offerings of food. Those people then became priests of Zeus. That was what they wanted to do. Um, their home was transformed into a temple. And the rest of the people in Lystra were destroyed. But this wasn't going to happen again. Not in Lystra. Not in this town. Because the Romans believed that their state, their whole system, was based on the Pax Deorum. The principle that if Rome um, acted in accordance with divine commands, then the gods would act in their favor. We've got peace in the skies as well as peace on the land. Oh, so you remember this from our sermon in, in January 9. If the signs were auspicious, uh, then the person who had traveled up this pathway of political power, they wouldn't place their hands on a Bible to uphold their oath um, so they could rule down here on land. They would swear by Jupiter. <laughs> right? When they were inaugurated, they would swear by Jupiter who would... Um, he would be the one that would take care of their oath. That's also the name of Zeus. Um, they would swear by Jove. Have you ever heard that? That's Jupiter. Um, Jupiter for the Greeks, Zeus for the Romans, Baal or Baal for the Syrians, if you like. This storm god, uh, the god that has conquered the other gods. Um, he was considered the main deity. Uh, and, and the main role of Zeus was to maintain cosmic and social order. And so then the greatest obstacle for the Romans, especially with the Christian message going forward, was if I'm going to maintain peace with the gods, how do I deal with these Christians? Because Christians know that Jesus is Lord of all of these divine beings. You know, the principalities and powers, territorial guardians, but as well as the demonic hordes. Right. So hear me say this. Jesus was not competing for the spot of emperor. Caesar or king. He's not going head to head with Caesar in a runoff election for Lord. Uh, if I could just get enough votes or if I could just get the popularity, you know. All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. He said as much, Matthew chapter 28. And so Christians were flipping the script, which required uh, the recognition of traditional Roman gods, as well as the divinity of the emperor himself. And they would name Jesus the name above all names. Uh, the name of Jesus at which every knee will bow, every tongue confess. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Who has created peace through authority? Well, it was Jesus himself. Right. So this is a whole different way to think about the world. What kind of peace on earth and what kind of peace in the heavens? Jesus has the authority. So let's look 
back at this passage, verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Let's honor them correctly this time. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, who was at the temple of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Okay, does this make sense? The crowd forms, they report to Zeus outside the city, uh, they report to the priest, and they all return with the crowd, ready for a surprise party and revelry, because nothing is going to get in the way of honoring Zeus. <laughs> not in Lystra, not in Lyconia. So, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain, foolish things to a living God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. Right. So, so way above your gods principalities and powers, you, oh, you need to go to the living God, the one who made all of this. Uh, John Chrysostom, this is like AD 400, says, notice the vehemence. Oh, wow. That's not the right word. John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom, about AD 400, says, Notice the vehemence with which all this is done by the apostles. They tore their garments and rushed out among the multitude saying, you know, all, all of these things, like, you can't do this. Are you kidding me? And all because their very beings, the apostles, were, were turning away in horror from what happened. No, this is the worst thing possible. He says, for truly it was grief, a grief inconsolable that they were about to be called gods. And so introduce idolatry, the very thing they came to destroy. John says this, this was the devil's contrivance, but they did not keep quiet. What did they say? We're men of like nature with you. Immediately from the very outset, they overthrew the evil. That's powerful. They didn't simply say, we're just men, but we're men just like you. And then, so that they would not seem to honor the gods, they said, we bring you this good news that you should turn away from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and sea and all that is in them. I'm just thankful for that because I, I don't think I would have seen that just horror in them. I don't think we experienced that horror. Uh, we, we might, I don't know if this, but uh, we might see this as a great platform for future ministry or something. But Paul and Barnabas did not see this as a platform for their preaching. Uh, they didn't accept this meteoric rise in public honor. Uh, one might wonder, well, you know, just think what we could do. We could work in our own message of Jesus and life in God's new age around their interest in honoring the gods of this age. You know, the temple outside of town is a nice place. It's the highest point in the city. It's pretty cool. No. No, 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 no. Um, he goes on to say the only one and true living God. Interestingly, though, because these are pagans uh, worshiping the gods, he doesn't talk about the prophets of Israel, um, but, but he appeals to the God at the head of all the gods, the most high God, um, the, the one above the heads of their gods on Mount Olympus, to the God of gods. Verse 15, men, why are you doing these things? Right? What is going on? You need to go to the, the highest level. I want to show you 
who God of gods is. In the past generation, he allowed um, all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good. He's the supreme benefactor. He did good by giving you rains and uh, from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. But even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. John Chrysostom says, uh, just marveling at this passage, he says, Look, on all occasions, they are free of the lust of glory. Not only uh, not coveting, but even repudiating it when offered. He, he links us to Peter, who says, uh, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk at this healing? Um, they say the same as, as, as Joseph, who said of his dreams, is not this interpretation of God? It's not mine. Daniel in the Old Testament, um, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than any other living person. It's just because of God. And Paul would say things like, who is sufficient for these things? And not that we're sufficient in and ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So how did this end? Uh, verse 19, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Well, that, that didn't work, right? But when the apostles gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. <laughs> this is, wow. Wow. So let's just try to dial in some takeaways here. One, human honor will not end well. Human honor will not end well. God works in our weakness, and when he works in our weakness, it makes the message of Jesus stand out. We have this phenomenon in America, in American churches, which I call mini-mega churches. Mini-mega churches. Small churches hoping to put the right staff together, hire a rising star, maybe get lucky with a, a potential celebrity pastor. It's like playing the lottery, rolling the dice, hoping to strike it rich. You know, and then kind of, well, I hope they can handle the pressure of the celestial outer space because I've seen a lot of stars falling from the sky recently. It's like the, the pressure of the applause and human honor goes to the core of them and ruins them. Perhaps you've noticed this. <laughs> One senior pastor I served actually told the staff um, when there was trouble brewing, you know, the best case scenario was that we promoted him and made him look good so that the entire organization could rise with him. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about covering mistakes and working to prop up the brand. We were going places without Jesus. Does that sound familiar? There's a Seattle story in there too, isn't there? But the apostles, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, um, the, the, these all are gifts to the church. And what are they supposed to do? They're sent to you to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We do not need to prop up extraordinary people. What we need to do is believe in God's extraordinary power. He's able to do far more than we could ask or imagine, immeasurably more. But it's going to be happening in weakness, not in human honor. Because human honor 
doesn't end well. And besides, the, the trust in the pastors in our society has been dropping fast. Recent surveys show that, that even pastors know this. The days of bring your non-Christian friend to church so the pastor can get them saved seem to be coming to a close, right? But God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, and he's going to work through our weakness. Um, the second takeaway that I see is that the way of Jesus will upset systems, systems you hold dear, you personally, as well as the pagan world. Jesus would say, woe to you who are rich. Oh, it's going to be so tough for you. You've already received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. You shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And one really specific to our situation that we're talking about. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Yeah, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus and the way of Jesus will upset systems. A third takeaway that I see is, is that persecution isn't the worst thing. Right? Beware of when men praise you. Dr. Tom Constable says, If Satan cannot derail Christian witness with persecution, he will try praise. Too much persecution has destroyed many preachers, and too much praise has ruined many others. One of the problems with miracles, these signs and wonders, is that they often draw more attention to the miracle worker than to God. Persecution is not the worst thing. Uh, last takeaway um, is Jesus is Lord of all, <laughs> of all, by authority, by the victory won on the cross, by his substitution in our place for our sin. He is Lord of all. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And so maybe the most loving thing you can say to a friend, to a neighbor, to a, a co-worker, to a colleague, to, to a family member is I believe you're trusting in things that are failing you. You, you. Turn away from these foolish things. You're placing your trust in the wrong things. Your church won't save you. Your self-medication won't save you. Your idols of work or sex or pleasure, money won't save you. Jesus alone can rescue. I would encourage you to ask the Spirit of God to give you your own takeaway. Pause and Say, what do you want me to do about this? And then follow him up in obedience. Jesus is Lord of all.